because money is never about money. Money right. is a, um, a symbol for uh, insecurities, for power, for control. And so you may think that my answer is going to be a bit bizarre, but I think that we're not going to be able to just say to a woman, okay, go in and here's, let's practice what you should say to your boss. Uh-huh. I think the way eventually they're going to be able to ask for money is starting with the Me Too movement. This week, Dr. Karen Sherman and I discuss a new study that came out that revealed that married men, wait for it, make more money than everybody, including single men. We discuss why that might be and why don't single women or married women make more money. We discuss. Stay tuned. I'm going to go ahead and self-promote here. I've co-authored my first book. It's called Life is Short. Don't Wait to Dance, and it's part biography, part self-help, part leadership book, and a part sports story, and it's very inspirational. It tells the story of the UCLA gymnastics head coach, Valerie Condos Field, who has become one of the winningest coaches in NCAA history. Yet, she never did gymnastics. In fact, she's never even played competitive sports in her life. She was a professional ballerina. As you can imagine, she has an amazing story and she is an amazing person. And I'm really proud of the book that we have put together. It's out now wherever books are sold. And again, it is called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. Oh, and if you read it, please leave a review or email to let me know what you think. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again by the brilliant, the original, Dr. Karen Sherman. Hi, Karen. Hi, Steve. I don't know if I'm going to sound so brilliant today. Uh, I don't like the topic that you picked. Nope. I can throw <laughs> anything your way and you will knock it out of the park. Okay. Uh, so uh, Karen is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. And she is the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. Uh, today, Karen, we are going to talk about... A study that came out, um, which essentially said that married men make more money than, wait for it, everyone, uh, Mm -hmm. including single men. Um, We will get through some of this stuff. And one of the things that I found staggering was not just that married men made more, uh, and and this did not apply to married women, by the way. They did not make uh, more than single women. Um, but was just like how much more uh, when there's a chart and I will link to the article um, on in the show notes for anybody interested. But there is a chart that shows the trajectory of income for singles and marrieds, uh, women and men. And it was like everybody, the single men, the single women, the married women, they're all on almost the exact same uh, career earn path. And then men just like sh- married men shoot up like way above the clouds on everybody else. It's not even close. So anyway, um, a little background. This study is uh, based on data from the University of Minnesota. Um, 
and I'm not going to get into the giant acronym here, but um, it's a database uh, of individual responses uh, that were submitted to the U.S. Census Bureau. And so um, in the article that I read and that I will link to, it's from MarketWatch, uh, the researchers discussed the various theories as to why married men make more. Do you have any theories? Well, I mean, the most obvious one is that um, I think that there's a, a general bias that men should make more than women. Um, but as far as I was a little surprised about the differential between married men and single men. And so the only other thought that I had in reading the article or the research was that perhaps married men were a little bit more motivated um, and strived a little bit harder because they know that they do have a family that they have to take care of Uh you know, single men obviously don't have to do that so much. So maybe they did try a little bit harder. <clears throat> but I think it has more to do with the bias of the people who are um, paying them. And they're thinking that um, they have a family that mm -hmm. they have to take care of. And so therefore they should be paid more. It's in other words, it's not based merely on one's skill level and productivity. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things uh, that we know is, and this goes back decades that these wage gaps are not merit based. Uh, Correct. Across the board. Um, there have been things in the past where they talk about men and over women uh, that men are more uh, open or aggressive or I'm not I'm not using the right words here, but they are they are more willing to ask for more money. Than mm -hmm. women are. Yes. Um, and therefore and the thing about that is it compounds. So if you do that in your 20s and you're making more money in your 20s, by the time you hit 40, um, it compounds into these like larger and larger yes. wages. Um, mm -hmm. The thing, and I think to your point th that married men making drastically more than single men, well, that takes that kind of like personality trait out of the equation because, mm -hmm. well, single men should be just as uh, open about asking for a pay wage increase. And so then for me, it comes back to, well, why are these bosses giving them more money? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I like I get uncomfortable. Like, I know you th think that perhaps it's because they strive more because they have families. And I always get uncomfortable with that kind of stuff because uh, I just feel like, well, I don't know. I just I just have a hard time believing that some single men aren't working their ass off and because I, I know I have worked with married men who are lazy and unworthy and they made like four times as what I did. Mm -hmm. And yeah, well, I, you yeah. know, you asked me, you know, did I think there was, you know, what was another possible right. theory? But by and large, I think mostly it has to do with the bias okay. of, the, of the people who are, are paying, uh, you know, the married men 
who are uh, with family and yeah. and thinking that you know they they have to pay more because they have they have to be paid more because they have more responsibilities. Yeah, and that was actually one of the things that was brought up by one of the researchers. Is they think this bias that you're talking about is these bosses see the married man like oh they're the they're the breadwinner right um, therefore they need they need the extra money which is which is super interesting to me um, and we know that's half true because you know there are married women who might and likely are also breadwinners absolutely <laughs> and w- like why in our brain have we not made that switch yet it's only been like 50 80 years that we've had the opportunity to like actually wrap our head around this uh to mm-hmm. thinking like wow like this is a mother who could use some extra scratch. Like, let's give her the giant pay raise because first off, she's earned it. And secondly, because we have this bias toward her the same way that we'd have toward him, um, which actually brings me to my next question, which is why don't married women make significantly more than single women? Um, one one theory that I want to really mention really quick is that uh, and this is one that I've heard for uh, forever and Back, going back to when I used to do reporting on business uh, and entrepreneurship, there's and this is a quote from one of the researchers. There's virtually no difference in wages between single workers of both sexes and married women, which and then the researcher's name, which is like a really long name that I don't want to butcher, uh, says appears to put less stock in the theory that women who may take time off to be full time mothers take a wage hit. So why why do you think married women make significantly uh, why don't they make significantly more than s- single women? Well, again, it goes back to the fact that there's a bias about women that women, you know, are supposed to this is like um, a secondary thing. Working is a secondary thing um, and they don't have to make as much as men do. Mm hmm. Did the did the um, did the wage gap thing between married women and single women and and that whole idea of well, when you get married you have kids and when you have kids you take time off of work and then when you mm-hmm. enter the workforce you've like kind of like put a pause on your income earning potential because you've been out of the workforce and therefore that's why you would have made le- like it. If that was the reasoning, single women without kids should be making more than married women. Correct. But we didn't see that at all in this data, which is crazy to me. Right, right. So that being the case, then you would say, okay, so if it's not because you're not continuing on and you've taken this pause and single women without children – of course, there could be single women who have children also, but, um, you know, if single women are still not single women and married women are on an equal trajectory, then it's really a bias against women. Mm-hmm. Um, then we, of course, you know, there's that other factor, which is the surprise, which is that it's the same for single men. Uh-huh. So I think it is um, perhaps a different bias, which is that married men should be rewarded or they're the ones that really are carrying the load and therefore they must uh, be be, uh, given the greatest amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. It is super interesting. And so that was the thing 
that was shocking to me is looking at that chart and seeing that, uh, to put it in perspective, I, I want to say that uh, the other three working groups of singles and married women, mm-hmm. um, they, their highest earning potential in aggregate was like peaked at around 50K a year. And married men was almost double. I mean, it peaked at almost $90,000 a year mm-hmm. on this chart, which was like, like, <laughs> just like, wow, wow. Yeah. And I think part of it, if I'm really want to dig into the numbers, um, we also know that men, uh, because this wasn't about like comparing s- same positions. So this was just gender and marriage. Um, so we also know that women are underrepresented in positions of power. Right. Um, right. So if you're um, a, a man, a married man and you're a CEO, like, well, it would make sense that you would make more than other people. And we also know that women are like radically underrepresented at those top echelons. Yes. I kind of feel like that also plays a pretty big factor in all of this. Right. But then right. it asks the question like, well, why aren't. Married women up like, again, it goes into that bias, I think, of, oh, so you're a married man. You are being elevated into these higher positions through, you know, you you know, I don't want to discredit men who have earned this stuff, but there is definitely some bias going on. Otherwise, the numbers would be as radically skewed as they are. Right. Okay. so let let me just add some additional research because. And, and this is going to be a matter of chicken egg, okay, because uh-huh, uh-huh. you don't know which came came first. But when you look at attribution theory, in other words, to what do you – how do you explain something? Mm-hmm. When you look at success, the attributions that women and men make are very different. When a man is successful, he takes credit for it. When a woman is successful, she'll say it was luck. Mm. Now, is that because she's never been given kudos or is she not given kudos because she doesn't own it? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But we do know that there's a very definite difference in the way the genders make attributions for success stories. Um, And so that could, in part have something in part yeah have something to do with whether women climb the ladder as much but i think it's just a small part because i think that the overwhelming amount of women not um making it to the top you know now we start talking about glass ceiling and uh-huh. all those kinds of things is that women are are not thought to be able to or should be in those kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. My thought is that this was study was done in the U.S. Yeah. What does it look like in other, in other countries? In other countries, we have women in the head position, in Germany, mm-hmm. in Israel. Um, so I wonder what this financial uh, situation would look like in those countries. Well, you know, that's actually really interesting because in addition to the workplace uh, and, and having those positions, they also offer greater social safety nets for women 
mm-hmm. that we do not provide in the United States, mm-hmm. which is one of these things that you see people marching in the streets about uh, mm-hmm. where um, just, just like healthcare, for example, uh, we've talked about this in the past. Women's bodies are more complicated and sophisticated than men's are. Mm-hmm. They typically have more medical needs based on their entire reproductive system that men don't have to deal with their entire mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. And because of that, that makes their health care services more expensive. Um, and but we act like it's not so, which is like insane to me. Um, and so, you know, like one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is like to put this out there, because I feel like. While this has been a big topic for a very long time, um, I sometimes feel like people think, oh, it's getting better, though. It's totally getting better. Um, And I know we're not going to solve this because there are so many deep rooted things um, that are like I'm I'm saying, like, we're not going to solve it on this podcast because there are so many deep rooted things um, that are playing into this and all these like lifelong biases. And like you brought up um, the the difference in attribution between men and women. And it goes back all the way to, uh, childhood, uh, Mm -hmm. where, uh, men are pushed more towards, uh, certain things and women are discouraged from doing certain things. And and like a woman might be super interested in like building something and have this career path as being like this super engineer. And they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Do this. Cause that's the feminine thing to do. Um, and they get discouraged in math classes. And that's why you see all this like work around STEM programs and women and coding and like all mm-hmm. this like, really cool stuff because for so, and it's been this deliberate effort to get, to make it okay because we have based on our own biases, based on the patriarchy going back centuries, um, we have just like innately thoughtlessly pushed women towards this like path which has been an unequal path. And even though it's been an unequal path, we have refused to like, uh, like prop them up in any way for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. Instead we keep it repressed and just being like, well, we don't know what's going on. Like how could we possibly do anything about it? Which I find totally frustrating because we know this stuff happens and we know it exists and we still fail to do something about it. So that's why I wanted to bring it up and, um, and kind of just talk about these biases. If n- nothing else comes out of this podcast, but people start recognizing it more or seeing it more, um, then I think this is a useful, helpful podcast episode. Um, with that little soapbox speech <laughs> out, yes. of the, out of the way, um, th- another data point that I totally found interesting, and this gets back to it's so skewed, it's so radical, it's so how we have grown up all of us that if we had flipped this the other way, people would be losing their minds right now. Mm. Uh, what I found interesting is that women are paid more than men in just six, six municipalities and one County in the United States. And this was an analysis of 2,700 locations with more than 10,000 workers. Just think about that. Like out of 10, 2,700 locations, they found six Mm-hmm. where women actually made more than men. Like that is mm-hmm. like, I can't even like, I don't know. I w- sometimes I want to like, it's mind boggling. It's mind boggling. I have no mm-hmm. words. So, um, how, 
like, let's start working on solutions here. Uh, what can women do to make more money, to get paid? And I don't even, like, it would be nice to just say, like, to make as much as men. Like, what would they have to do to make more than men? Like, how would you go about that? Because we've been talking about how this is a bias. So this is a psychological thing. So do you have any thoughts well, or recommendations I, I'm glad on how that they can you push said it. I'm glad that you said it's a psychological thing. Yeah. Um, because money is never about money. Money right. is a, um, a symbol for uh, insecurities, for power, for control. And so you may think that my answer is going to be a bit bizarre, but I think that we're not going to be able to just say to a woman, okay, go in and heels, let's practice what you should say to your boss. Uh-huh. I think the way eventually they're going to be able to ask for money is starting with the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Because what is the Me Too movement about? Is it, it, you know, at first glance, it's about sexual impropriety, mm-hmm. but it's really not about that. It's about women having a voice mm-hmm. and saying, you know, we're no longer going to be victims of control and power. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to speak up. We're not going to be afraid anymore. So it's going to take a long time coming. You know, it started back when I was in college when we were burning our bras. Mm-hmm. But here it is, you know, 50 years later, as you were saying. And we still are not getting paid equal amounts. Um, but I think, you know, that's, that's the thing. Something. Like it's barely it's barely moved. That's the thing that I find super frustrating. Yeah. Well, because it's a very strong bias mm-hmm. um, and and it's a very hard bias to shift. And um I'm, you know, we try really hard to stay apolitical in our discussions, but mm-hmm. I I do have to say something, you know, um, with Trump's response that this is a hard time for to be a boy, to be a male. Mm -hmm. um, And and I understand there is a part of me that understands that statement because it's the concept of, okay, so now you're the thinking is, okay, you're being seen as guilty before you're proven innocent. That being said, That bias has been there for women for years. When you are a rape victim, there are just a horrible experience of the blame being put on you Mm -hmm. that you were raped, number one. Mm -hmm. And number two, um, men don't have to walk with a buddy in the street for fear that something's going to happen to them. So though the general concept might have some validity to it. It's still not as difficult in this world, in in the United States, to be a male as it is a female. That's can my I, opinion. Yeah. Can I, I want to add one other thing to that. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I, I totally agree with you on all of that. Um, I actually think I'm going to take it a step further and say that the only truth to that statement, because uh, there is no statistical evidence that it's actually harder for men than women in any fa- form or fashion anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like the statistics showing that men are falsely accused mm-hmm. and there's this like some irrational danger of just being falsely accused. Like it just doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the only thing, the only truth to that statement at all is men now actually have to think about it where mm. we have lived our entire lives, never even having to take it into consideration of like what somebody might think about our actions. Mm. That's the only truth to that statement. Yeah. You may be getting a lot of um, response to this podcast, getting very annoyed at what we're discussing, Steve. But um, I, I mean, I'm trying to at least be um, open minded about the possibility that men now feel that they have to be concerned. But I, well, I still. Yeah, that's I, I guess that's the point I'm trying to make is like they now have to th- think about it like mm-hmm. they now they are now concerned about it which mm-hmm. is as far as it goes like here's here's a question that's easy one um name name three rape victims of bill cosby can't do it yeah and like one of the arguments is always like they do it for fame they do it for this they, mm-hmm. really <laughs> yeah name them yeah. name them yeah. you can't they because it's yeah. just like it just you know anyways yeah. okay Okay, so let's get back to the the point that I wanted to get at, which was okay. So you said that this is this goes back into like the Me Too movement about how there's this like uprising, and w- women are now as a a force pushing for greater equality across the board. So wh- when we're talking pay wage pay gaps, um, is this just like a, a big wave that they just have to kind of ride or is there something that they can take into their office after they listen to this podcast and be like, Hey, what do I do here? Well, change can never take place unless you're aware. Mm-hmm. So what you would have to do is ask yourself, do I have a bias? But you see that has to come from somebody who's willing to really look at themselves. So my gut feeling is that the people who um, have this bias are probably not real likely to be that Mm -hmm. self-observant, to be that self-reflective. I remember years ago that there was a study, again, based on attribution, Uh that said that many psychologists um, were less demanding of males to look at their emotions because the feeling was, well, they're men, you know, it's hard for them to look at their emotions. Mm -hmm. And when I read that study, I really said to myself, okay, Karen, let's look at what you do with your male clients and especially in marital therapy. Yeah. Do I expect them to do less work? You know, so that um, point of interest, that point of awareness was something I took to heart and really looked at myself. A lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be what, what you would have to do. You know, personally, um, when I – it really makes me feel fabulous when I hear about Bill Gates or Warren Buffett – who have lots and lots of money and then give back. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you are in a position of power, obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, there's a good chance that you've gotten there because you have certain skills and you have um, certain attributes that allow you to be in power. But 
you also want to use that power properly. And so if you can think about it and give back Mm -hmm. and use your power in a way that will allow there to be more equanimity, Mm -hmm. then I think that that would be really fabulous. I love that. No, I think that's great because you do, you're right. Um, I think a lot of times we think about, well, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, these are people who have something to give back. Mm-hmm. But if you're in a position of power, you can check your bias. Mm-hmm. This can be your contribution back mm-hmm. is checking your bias, looking at your payroll and saying like, wait a second, Johnny and Susie do the exact same job. She's been here longer. He's making mm-hmm. more money. Like what the hell is going on? Yeah. Like yeah. I didn't realize this is happening. And that's the, I guess that's one of the things that I want to say before I get all this hate mail. I'm not blaming men. I'm not blaming married men. I am mm-hmm. like a white married male in this country. Like I'm like the definition of like privilege in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like, I get it. Um, I don't want to blame men for any of this stuff. But I do think there's a responsibility to reflect and try to figure out, like, why we're in the position that we're in, Mm -hmm. why other people are in the positions that they're in, and, like, what we can do about it. And I feel like anything less than that is a dereliction of our duty as just citizens and our fellow man and woman um, to not have that kind of reflection. I think that's just a failure on everyone's part. Um, And But I do like the sentiment that you said – if you're in this position of power, um, you can do something about it. You know, you don't have to be able to dump, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars into these charities. Like you could just honestly look, mm-hmm. at, <laughs> look right. at those people underneath you and just be like, well, why, why does it look this way? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and everything else, not even just like payroll. So maybe you don't have the budget to like go there, but maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you, uh, inadvertently, uh, through again through your bias, maybe you're inadvertently grooming some male beneath you, while you're ignoring some f- a, a woman who is of equal, if not greater, mm-hmm. skill set. Um, mm-hmm. And so, why would you be, you know, just just having that awareness? And I think that again, I think that's the strength of this episode is bringing it to people's consciousness. Because mm-hmm. to you, to the point you made, you, it's really difficult, if not impossible, to change something if you're completely unaware of it to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I knew we were going to bounce around on this one, Karen. Um, Steve, don't you have your your typical I do. question for me? I do. I do. Uh, yes. Do you have anything you'd like to add? I do. Okay, great. Okay. So since we've made this about the psycho- psychological aspects, uh-huh. I want to throw something in, and this may just add more hate mail, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. My belief is that when people need to be in control and when they have biases, it's really coming out of an insecurity that if you can allow people to be different and just accept them, that it's because you're okay with who you are that you can allow for differences. And so when you're in power, if you can be okay with allowing the people in your organization to still have 
equality between them. I'm not saying you give up your power, that you're mm-hmm. still the one who's in, you know, mm-hmm. overseeing them, but you don't have to keep them down or keep them in a lesser role, so to speak, by salary and such. That only speaks to your security. Mm-hmm. So I'd like people to reflect on that also. Um, you know, and in general, in life, the only reason I believe that we are as biased as we are as a society is out of our fear. Mm-hmm. If we can accept people for who they are with their differences, it's not going to it's not going to impact us as long as we feel confident and secure with who we are. Yeah, I love that. No, that's that's fantastic. Um it's interesting because when you empower those below you, it's the high, you know, the high tide raises all boats. Mm-hmm. So if the people below you are doing better because they feel empowered, that's going to make you as a boss look better. Yes. Because you're going to yeah. be more productive and therefore everything improves. And then yeah. one last thing I wanted to add, um, this is just my own personal thing. Uh, and I've probably mentioned this in the past before. So my very first job out of college was working for a business magazine and I was – literally the only male on the editorial staff. <laughs> Our editorial director, editor-in-chief, was a woman. We mm-hmm. had three executive editors, women. We had two managing editors, women. We had two copy editors, women. We had uh, writers. Wi- like, I was the only male on the entire staff. And huh. again, it was business. And so I th- feel like if you've heard some passion in my voice... It's because of that, like, very deep imprint I had at uh-huh. the very beginning of my career because it was top of mind for them, and therefore it was, like, very awakening for me. Mm-hmm. And so it, this is just one of those things where it, like, really touches me. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there because I'm trying to recognize my bias and the angles that I come at this topic from. So there you go. Um, well, this was – you know, a little fiery, more fiery than I was expecting it to be, but it, I guess not surprising. But um, I think it was illuminating, though. So thank you so much, Karen. It is always a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. Uh, and with that, we will wrap it up. But before we go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Karen Sherman, who is a practicing psychologist in relationship and lifestyle issues for 30 years. Karen is the author of Mindfulness and the Art of Choice, Transform Your Life. Karen is also the co-author of Marriage Magic, Find It, Keep It, and Make It Last. You can get this information and much more at her website, drkarensherman.com. Of course, you can find all this info at our website, hitchmag.com. I highly recommend you subscribe to our free newsletter, which goes out each Monday. uh, So it's not like some like daily spammy thing. Uh, And also, because I'm going to be giving some plugs here, Um, I co-authored a book recently. It is called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. Uh, And it is uh, with a very powerful, strong woman um, who was a professional ballerina who then went on to become one of the winningest coaches in NCAA history. And she's never done sports. And the book is very much a self-help and leadership book on how to empower everyone around you. So... Like I said, I got serious bias going on here. Like this is like <laughs> something deeply rooted in me. Uh, so again, that's life is short. Don't wait to dance. Uh, you can get it anywhere. Uh, and so with that, we will wrap it up. And so until next time, take care, everybody. We know that it's showtime.
clear our heads of all our 